0: this semester in RUF, working our way through the book of Proverbs, and uh, we've been looking specifically at the, at the issue, the topic of uh, wisdom, and I try to say each week that wisdom is skill. The word wisdom in the book of Proverbs literally means skill. It's skill at life as you navigate all the gray areas of life, and uh, since I'm talking to a room full of college students, and since Next week is spring break. I thought it was appropriate to take up the topic of self-control before we dismiss for the week. And if you think about it, college to me sometimes feels like a crazy social experiment. Have you ever thought about this? Let's take, oh I don't know, 28,000 18 to 22 year olds and throw them in a little bubble together. Let's give them all the access that they want to alcohol and drugs and sex and porn, and let's remove all parental supervision and authority and just kind of see what happens. Like that's kind of what college feels like sometimes. And if you haven't figured this out by now, with, with the amount of stuff that you have access to and the amount of freedom that you have, if you do not develop the skill of self-control, uh, you will learn if you haven't learned already that y- you cannot do life well. Self-control is is imperative to what it means to be a college student to do it well. It's imperative what it means to do life well, and so we're going to take a few minutes tonight look at a couple of proverbs. We're going to just look at um, Proverbs twenty-five, twenty-eight is kind of our founding, grounding astounding passage tonight and we'll jump off from there it says this a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls let me pray and then we'll try to understand what that means in some other proverbs so let me pray Father, thank you so much for uh, this time together. Pray that now you would send your spirit to teach us, to guide us, to lead us. Open up our eyes, unclog our ears, so that we would see and behold beautiful things in your word. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, self-control. I want to just look at three big ideas with you tonight. The what, the why, and the how. What it is, why we don't have a lot of it, and then how we get it. Okay? So those are the three big ideas we're gonna look at tonight. The what, the why, the how. First, what it is. If you look at that passage I just read, or that proverb I just read, 2528, in Hebrew, here's what it literally reads: if you just took the Hebrew and translated it word for word, here's what it would literally say: A broken city with no walls is a man with no restraint to his spirit. Now, your spirit is the Bible's way of talking about your desires. Your appetites, your imp- these impulses that you have, cravings. So I'm going to define self-control this way. It's the ability to override your impulses. That's what self-control is. It's the ability to override your impulses. So think about it. You're, um, you're sitting around and you have, this, you, you, you have this impulse to do something. Let's say you, you have this impulse to go get some chips. Or you have an impulse to go get a cookout shake. You have this, something inside of you is saying, obey this thirst that you have. Why would you ever want to say no? Why would you ever want to override that impulse? Well, the only reason why you would ever say no is because you have the ability to get above it and to choose something better. So maybe the reason why you wouldn't get this cookout shake is because your parents are... Going to take you out to dinner in 30 minutes, and you don't want to ruin your appetite for a free meal. Or uh, you know how it's going to make you feel 30 minutes after you eat it. So you say, No, I'm going to choose that feeling instead of this feeling. Self control is you having the ability to get above the impulse and then to choose something. That's what self-control is. Now, my children, because of their age and their level of maturity, they have zero self-control. They think uh, I want Skittles and Pixie Sticks three meals a day. Like that's what I want. And so they don't have the ability to to think about their health. They don't have the ability to think about how this makes them feel. They really just think I have an impulse for sugar, and I want it now zero self-control. But if you notice, it's interesting, this proverb compares someone without self-control. If you have a desire that's out of control, you're compared to a city without walls. Now this image is kind of lost on us because modern cities obviously don't have walls around them. Knoxville doesn't have a wall around it. Nashville, Memphis has no walls around it. But back in the day, if there was a city, Chattanooga has no walls around it, Back in the day, a city without a wall was just a disaster waiting to happen. Because raiding armies could just sweep in and jack all your resources. Or wild animals could just roam in there and, like, jack people up. I don't know. And um, this is why uh, in, in Walking Dead, all the new settlements that you see, boy, they have walls all around them. Because walls represent security and stability. So this is saying, if you have a desire that has gone out of control, if you're incapable of getting above it and overriding it, you're basically turning, you're disabling the security system to your life. You're unlocking the doors to your own life, and you're vulnerable and defenseless to chaos and destruction, which will come in. If you have a desire that is unmanageable, you're opening yourself up to destruction. Let me give you a couple examples. Let's think about the way some of us do alcohol. When some of us go out and have a couple of drinks with our friends, you have this impulse that comes up that says, okay, one more. And then an impulse later on, okay, just one more. And this impulse keeps coming, and if you don't have the ability to override that impulse, you will bring destruction into your life. Either that night, physically, because you just drink too much and you like literally get sick. Or because of the stupid, destructive decisions that you make when you inevitably get drunk. Or just that kind of played out over a whole lifestyle, the damage and the destruction that brings into it. Or think about, um, think about how we use words. If you have an impulse to lash out at somebody, to just vent all of your frustrations on somebody, just blast somebody with a scathing text or email or something, then you, uh, you ruin relationships you you introduce damage and destruction into your relationships if you don't have the ability to override that impulse or think about how we do our dating relationships you know it's interesting every almost every couple that i've heard that when they first get together the language that they use is you know we want to take it slow but of course it's just so fun and it's so enjoyable and you just are thrilled that there's another person out there that likes you and wants to spend time with you. And so you have these impulses that come up. And the impulses are, um, I want to text all the time. I want to hang out with this person all the time. I want to sit down with this person and kind of go knee to knee and like, let's talk about how you feel about me and how I feel about you. Let's have intense conversations about our relationship. And you have these impulses to kind of push the boundary physically and sexually. And if you give in to those desires, you don't override them but you give in to them then your relationship gets cranked up with a level of intensity and a pace with which is no longer keeping it slow and the, the relationship eventually can't handle that level of pressure and falls apart. You see what I'm saying? All of these examples are I'm trying to demonstrate to you that at some level we're all out of control somewhere. Some aspect of our life we don't have the ability to override it. And for some of us, that means some very serious struggles in addiction. That is not surprising that there would be drug addiction in this room, or alcoholism, or gambling, or rage, anger stuff, uh, or eating disorders, or sexual addiction, porn addiction. But I want you to know there's an entire range of addictions that are just as much real addictions they are just socially acceptable, and they bring damage into our life as well. For some of you, um, the way that you spend your time is out of control, meaning uh, you're always promising uh, more to people. You can never say no to people. You're always kind of letting people down. Or um, the way that you spend your time is you're just constantly binging on Netflix, YouTube, uh, video games, whatever. Uh, For some of you, it's your attention... That's out of control, meaning that you can't hold your attention on certain things. Uh, you get bored with people really quick. You can't focus. Um, for some of you, it's your spending that's out of control—that you make these kind of impulsive purchases, and then after it's over, you're like, I don't even know—I don't know why I just bought that. <laughs> or, uh, you know, for some of you, it's your thoughts that are out of control—that you can't control uh, your anxious thoughts, you can't control your jealous thoughts, you can't control your thoughts of self-hatred or your uh, lustful thoughts. Like We're all out of control at some level. And I think the deeper question, the more interesting question, is why is that? Why is it that we don't have a lot of control? If that's what it is, why don't we have a lot of it? Well, that's the second big idea I want to look at with you tonight. Why don't we have a lot of it? Well, look at Proverbs 18.11. It says, A rich man's wealth is his strong city, and like a high wall... In his imagination. I think this is a a really fascinating proverb. Because this is saying. If you have a city that's really strong. And stable and secure. It's got a really high wall around it. It's kind of impenetrable. And this is saying. Rich people look to their wealth. To be their source of stability. Their source of security. But what's fascinating. Is that it's not a real city. This is why it says it's in his It's like a high wall in his imagination. It's an imaginary city, meaning money can't provide the security that wealthy people in this proverb want to provide. And so this proverb is pretty loaded. I want to just extract two principles real quick from it. The first principle is this. is that everyone is driven by a desire for security. Everyone in this room is driven by this deep subterranean desire for security so think about it Um, uh, you can't not go for the bag of chips or you can't not uh, eat an entire sleeve of oreos once you get started or you can't not go out and have eight drinks or you can't not just uh, keep flirting with guys or girls you can't turn it off why it's because something inside of you is restless and feels out of control and so you reach out to these things to just get a little bit of control for just a moment. You're just looking for security in these particular things. And I want you to know it's not just, um, it, it's not just the rich. It's everyone. Uh, th- think about it. Here's, I'm going to give you one light-hearted example and one heavier example. Here's the light example. You're at a crowded restaurant with your bro, or your, or your girl, your friend, another person. And um, they get up to go use the restroom. And they're only going to be gone for, I don't know, depends on what they're doing in there, but a few minutes. They're only going to be gone for a few minutes. And you're sitting there alone in this restaurant and you have this pang of loneliness and emptiness and boredom and so what do you do you grab your phone because it gives you in that moment a sense of purpose again it gives you a sense of okay i'm not just some loser sitting in this restaurant by myself i've got stuff to check i've got stuff to do and so you it regains it restores the sense of security and stability Even though just for a few minutes. That's the lighthearted example. Here's a heavier one. Some of you go home on the breaks. Go back home over the breaks. And um, you don't have any school to do, so you kind of feel purposeless. You're kind of bored. There's not as many people around. And so isn't it interesting that it's in those seasons of your life that that's kind of when porn and masturbation start really spiking in your life. Really ratcheting it up. Why do you think that is? It's because you're feeling empty, lonely, bored, purposeless, and you're reaching out for some level of security, stability, comfort. Everyone is driven by this desire for stability. But here's the second principle that this proverb tells us. Is that whatever you're reaching out for to get that security, it can't provide it. It's making promises to you that it can't fulfill. This is why it's an imaginary city. The, the wealthy look to the city for stability and security and they can't get it. It's, it's, uh, it's making promises to them that the thing can't provide on. And of course, this makes me think of uh, a TV show I'm kind of into. And if you're even remotely familiar with the TV show, The Office, then uh, maybe you'd be familiar with this episode called Scott's Tots. And if you're unfamiliar... It's the most cringe-worthy episode in the whole thing where Michael Scott, the Steve Carell character, you know, 10 years ago promised this group of inner city third graders that he would pay for their college tuition if they graduated from high school. And of course, now it's been 10 years and they're about to graduate from high school and so they want to bring him in to honor him and celebrate him for this generous gift that he's given them and so they bring him in and he's he's reluctant, he's resisting it they bring him into like the Michael Scott reading room where they've named after him and they sit him down and there's this group of students that are dressed in all matching Scott's tots t-shirts and they performed this like dance number to honor him you remember it, hey Mr. Scott what you gonna do what you gonna do, make your dreams come true I said, hey Mr. Scott what you gonna do, what you gonna do make my dreams come true so that's the little song that they sing thank you, thank you for that thank you, thank you hey Mr. Scott what you gonna do the applause energizes me What are we talking about? Oh, yeah, Scott Scott. So they sing this song for him, and he's just cringing in his seat. One guy gets up, and he gives this speech, and he's like, you know, for several years, I've had all this pressure to get into the drug game, and the only thing that's kept me out of it was my guardian angel, who's given me this gift of college tuition. And of course Michael Scott is broke, has no money, and is totally unable to make good on this promise he's made. And he has to stand up there and essentially tell all of them, I can't pay for your college. And it's like the most awkward thing. And so what he does as a consolation prize is gives them computer batteries instead. (laughs) And while it's, um, of course, completely ridiculous, I think the same principle translates into our real life. That you look to something on this earth to provide you with a level of security because it promises to you, you will find security in me and yet it can't make good on those promises. So uh, you feel lonely and so you eat because you think uh, food is promising me if I have you, I will have some level of security and temporarily you do, but In the long run, what do you feel? You feel guilty, you feel ugly, you feel more lonely. Or you feel empty, and so you look to porn. And you think, because porn is promising you in that moment, it's calling out to you, if you give in to me, I will provide you with security. And so you do, and temporarily it is satisfying. But then afterward, what do you feel? You feel guilty and more empty. In fact, Proverbs 18.11 really just sets up the addiction cycle for us. A, B, and C. A is you feel some level of emptiness, loneliness, desperation. And so you go to a substance, you act out, you do something for something, hoping that it will relieve that substance, relieve that distress. B, not only does it not relieve your distress, in fact, it provides more distress into your life, more guilt, more loneliness, more emptiness. And then C, you seek to alleviate that pain and that distress with the very thing that caused it in the first place. And round and round we go. And that's why so many of us are stuck. That's why so many of us have no self-control. Because we're just continually feeding on the thing that's causing us pain in the first place. So how do we get it then? That's what it is. Why we don't have much of it. How do we get self-control in our life? If we desperately need it, how do we get it? Well, uh, the way to long-term self-control is not through suppressing your impulses. It's not at looking at these raging impulses inside of you, raging impulses and appetites for sex and alcohol and Netflix and whatever, and just look at all that and say, Stop it. Like, Just stop. Go away. Suppress. You cannot suppress your impulses. You have to replace them. You cannot suppress your impulses. You cannot suppress your appetites. You have to replace them with something that you find more appetizing. Look at uh, Proverbs 24, 13 and 14. It says this, My son, eat honey. It's a Bible command. Eat honey, for it is good. And the drippings of the honeycomb are sweet to your taste. Know that wisdom is such to your soul. If you find it, there will be a future, and your hope will not be cut off. Bringing wisdom into your life is compared here to tasting honey. Now, in the the ancient Near East, in this culture, uh, they did not have sugar, sugar was not something that grew in that region. If they wanted something sweet, they had to sweeten it with honey or with uh, something that just kind of tasted sweet. It was a very kind of rare delicacy in their culture. And I don't know if you've ever gone for a while without having sugar and then tasting it. It's like your, your taste buds can't even handle it. Uh, I, I did this diet a couple of years ago uh, where I was without sugar in any form for 10 days, which was Intense, and um, and maybe about a week into it, you have a grape, and a grape tastes like candy. If you've never had, I mean, if you haven't had sugar for a while, grapes are just like sugar berries. And can, so, if you can imagine being in the ancient Near East in an arid, dry climate, and you've gone weeks, maybe months, without tasting anything sweet, and then you have honey. It's like your taste buds explode with enthusiasm. It's like you, you can't even handle that level of sweetness. And that, this is saying, when wisdom comes into your life, it's like your soul experiences that level of sweetness and delight. But what's interesting, in the book of Proverbs, wisdom is, is usually personified, if you look at Proverbs chapter 8 in particular, wisdom is poetically described as a person. Who is that? Well, what the Old Testament makes, what, what is implicit in the Old Testament becomes explicit in the New Testament. And if you look at a couple passages, I'll just throw them out there, you can look it up later. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. Colossians 2, verse 3. The Bible goes out of its way to say that Jesus Christ is the personification of wisdom. He is the wisdom that the Bible is talking about. So what Proverbs 24, 13, and 14 is saying, if you read it in light of the whole Bible, is this. When the embodiment of wisdom, wisdom Jesus himself comes into your life, it is like honey for your soul. It's like, it's like experiencing his grace and his love at such a level that it, it actually feels like you're tasting him. That you're experiencing Him, that uh, you're enjoying Him, you cannot suppress your desires for other things unless they are replaced with the better food that is Jesus Himself. But here's the question: Why would you? Why would you prefer something that you've never tasted? Why would you prefer the honey of Jesus if you've never tried it? Because you know, there's always thinking about this, reminds me of meals with my children. Which is always just like the most frustrating hour of my life. Because there's like four foods in the world that they'll eat. Mac and cheese, quesadillas, corn dogs, and fish sticks. And Catherine and I will prepare this like meal for them. This like gourmet, organic, local, artisan, craft meal that we've thrown together. And we lay it in front of them and they're like, I don't like it. I don't like this and I'm like you've never seen that before in your life you never tasted it how do you know you don't like it I just don't like it and I think for a lot of us in this room uh, you've heard about Jesus a lot maybe you've grown up in the church and you've been around RUF and you've heard about Jesus and you're still stuck in these addictive ruts and, it's, and, and you're like I, I don't like it I don't like Jesus I don't want, him. I don't want it but you've never tried him you've never tried him or some of you um, maybe cognitively affirm that God exists, kind of uh, sign off intellectually with Jesus, and yet you're still stuck and controlled by your desires as well. It's not really, he's not really impacting your life. You're not really tasting him either. In fact, that's the language that the Bible uses. Psalm 34 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Maybe Christianity is different than you've thought. Maybe Christianity is not just signing off on some theological or political positions. And maybe, the, maybe Christianity is not just downloading a behavioral code into your life. Christianity is a feast. It's savoring him. It's delighting in him. It's enjoying him. Have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? And if you haven't, I want you to consider this. Or maybe even if you have, I want you to consider this. Let's consider Jesus the embodiment of wisdom. He lives this absolutely wise life. And then he is arrested uh, by soldiers. He he is tied up and and the soldiers basically can do whatever they want to him. He's completely vulnerable, completely defenseless. Kind of like a city without walls. And they torture him, and they spit at him, and they beat him, and they nail him to a cross. And as he is suffering in agony, you have to wonder what in him drove him to have so much self-control to not fight back, to not put an end to it. What drove him to have so much self-control that he kept enduring, kept suffering? Because even he says, that at any point I can call down an army of angels and just wipe y'all out and be done with this. What was it inside of him that said, I'm going to endure the suffering of the cross for this better prize? Hebrews chapter 12 tells us, it says this, that, the, uh, that he endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. He was able to override any impulse that came up and said, I want to end the suffering. He got above it and he overrode it because there was a prize that he found more beautiful, a prize that he wanted that he considered to be worth it to undergo the suffering of the cross. What was it that he valued and treasured so much that he said, I'm willing to do all of this in order to get that? You know what it was? It was us. It was us. It was you. It was me, because to Jesus, we are his honey. We are the sweetness of what he wants. And to the degree that you know that, he starts to become honey to you. When you see that he, he became vulnerable and defenseless for me so that I could experience the security and the safety of God then he becomes sweet to you. In fact, look at um, um, Proverbs 18.10. It says this, The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous man runs into it in a safe. The name of the Lord, a name in the Old Testament, a name in the Bible was not just a label. It represented who you were as a person. This is saying that the righteous, that people run into the actual person of God and they find security. They find stability. Taste and see that the Lord is good. When you feel that emptiness, when you feel that pang of desperation, that I want this, I want to alleviate this, I want to numb this, I want to cure this ache, run into the name of the Lord. Run into the presence of Jesus. He has made a He has made it available because He was kicked out of God's presence, so that you can be brought in. And when He becomes honey to you, when you begin to savor who Jesus actually is, this is what gives you the power to actually have self control. So, for example, you want to. Um... Uh, You have that impulse to go too far sexually with your boyfriend or girlfriend. There's this impulse that comes up, I want to go too far, I want to go too far. You can stop, you can get above it, you can override it. Because you realize, Jesus is sweeter to me than whatever this sexual experience is going to provide for me. Jesus is enough for me. And so you can say no. Or or you're tempted to binge shop And uh, you can get above it, and you can override it, and you say, Jesus is enough for me. I don't have to get whatever I'm searching for down here because I have honey up here in him. I want to give you two final kind of tangible action items that you can do with this, kind of as we finish. How you can practically taste and see that the Lord is good as you leave from here. Here's the first thing, is talk to other people, you have to talk to other people because no doubt everyone in this room is addicted to something. Either we're addicted to our iPhones or uh, we're addicted to exercise or uh, there's some aspect in our life that feels out of control and my guess is most of these struggles are so privatized because it's just just so much shame involved with it, especially if it's of more serious degrees than others. But the gospel frees us from having to maintain this image of I I can't let people see what I really struggle with. It frees us to be vulnerable, and so we have to start talking about this. You have to start letting people see and know what it is that you're really controlled by and snared by. So talk to some close friends. Talk to Austin or Ellie or me or Catherine or some pastor or mentor that you trust. You have to talk to somebody so that you know that you're not alone. We're all struggling with this. That we all need each other's help. That's the first tangible thing. You have to talk to somebody. The second thing, uh, second tangible action item is to fast. One of the best ways to feast on Jesus is to learn how to fast. Fasting is you giving up something that is good so that you can really see what has a hold on your life. For so many of us, we have these desires and we don't create any. We can't get above it because there's no distance that gets created. We just have this impulse and we're such in lockstep with the impulse. We just give into it without even knowing that we're giving into it. But when you decide to give something up for a while, you begin to experience and you're exposed to how much that thing controls you, how much that dominates your life. And then you can actually, oh, no, no, have some space to get above it and to prefer and to choose something that's better. So maybe some of you should try fasting from Netflix or fasting from technology or fasting from social media or donuts, but not tonight. Fast from whatever you think it is that might have a grip on your life. And I'll end with this, final thought. Um, one of the, probably the best movies I've seen in the past few years has been Crazy Stupid Love. Crazy, stupid love. And uh, it it, it centers on this character named Jacob, who's played by Ryan Gosling. And um, (laughs) Jacob is this kind of hotshot, playboy, womanizer guy. So every night he goes out to the bars, and he's kind of drinking and doing his thing, and he goes home with a different girl every night. He's just that guy. And one night he goes out to the bar, and he meets um, this woman named Hannah, who's played by Emma Stone, and he brings her home, and instead of sleeping together, they spend all night just talking, sharing stories about their life. And he respects her, she respects him, and kind of as the story unfolds, uh, they fall in love with each other. Crazy, stupid love with each other. And he undergoes this transformation where he stops going to the bar, He stops being the womanizer. He stops feeling like he has to have romance or sex or girls in his life in order to be somebody, in order to feed that thing inside of him. He's freed. He actually becomes a whole human again. He's freed to live for something other than this. Because love came into his life. Love was the antidote to his destructive addiction. And love is the antidote to your destructive addictions as well and to mine when you experience and taste and savor the love that God has for you in Jesus, that has the power to break the spell. That has the power to help you get liberated and freed, to begin fighting those impulses with new strength, to have a community around you that can come alongside of you and help fight those impulses with you. But here's the thing, you have to taste and see that the Lord is good consider that an invitation for you tonight. Let me pray. Father, I pray that you would help us to think differently about what it's like to relate to you. I pray that you would help us to to, um, begin to savor you, to enjoy your grace, to enjoy your love, to feast on you as we would enjoy a banquet. Father, you use this scandalous sensory experiential language of what it's like to relate to you and so i pray father that you would um for some of us in this room move out of just this cognitive affirmation and drip down into our hearts where we could experience and know your love in a tangible palpable personal concrete way and father would knowing and tasting your love and your grace for us would that free us liberate us from our addictions and from the things that enslave us day in and day out. Father, help us. We need grace. We are so easily tempted. We are so e- We so easily give in to our impulses. We think they are so strong. We think that um, we, we don't have the power to say no. And Father, by your grace, would you enable us to begin to learn how to say no to these things because we have said yes to you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.